0: hello and welcome to another edition of the china in africa podcast i'm eric olander and as always i'm joined by kobus van Staden of witz university in johannesburg south africa a very good afternoon to you kobus good afternoon today we're going to be talking about tourism and it's a subject that we really haven't addressed much on the program but it's absolutely fascinating. Let me give you a couple statistics about the Chinese because it's it's not even fascinating, it's mind-blowing. And think about this, in 2016, last year, some of the latest statistics are out. 121 million Chinese traveled overseas. Now, that's more than any other country in the world, according to the government, and they're forecasting now that it's expected to grow to 150 million in just the next few years. And and the growth rate since 2010 has been absolutely astonishing, 18 to 20 percent, which when you consider the fact that, you know, this is a population where only 6 percent have a passport the room for growth is just tremendous. And what's interesting is that Africa, although not one of the top destinations, is rapidly becoming uh, a popular destination, I should say. You know, typically Chinese, like most people, like Americans, we like to go to Mexico, we like to go to Canada, we go to London. Uh, We really don't venture too far abroad. And the Chinese themselves are very similar Japan, Hong Kong, Vietnam are some of the top destinations. But Kobus, let me tell you a little bit about your country, which is South Africa, uh, which is one of the most popular destinations. 150,000 visitors last year, direct air flights now. They've cleaned up the visa system. In 2008, only 2.8% of Chinese tourists went to Africa. Uh, In 2014, the the number tripled to 9.4%, and they expect that to grow uh, by 50% every year i mean it's just a huge market that's coming down now and increasingly african countries
1: are in an arms race to trying to capture some of these chinese tourists but what we're seeing is that african countries are frequently really unprepared um to
0: the extent that they really don't know how to cater for chinese tourists at all well, one person who's actually trying to, to cater to Chinese tours is Sandra Ruese, who is a director at the consulting, the tourism consulting advisory firm Gulu & Hearst in Kampala, Uganda. Sandra, welcome to the program. Very good afternoon to you. Thank you. Sandra, Thank you for having me. You have a background in Chinese affairs. You've studied Chinese. You, I think you've lived in China for a little bit. In your kind of trying to wave this flag to everybody in Uganda and Africa to say, hey, the Chinese are important. There's a huge market and a giant business opportunity. It, it makes sense when you see the numbers that I just kind of read, which are just these huge numbers, and you can see it. I, I saw it myself in, in South Africa last year. More and more Chinese tourists are arriving I would expect that you must be very busy. Your phone must be ringing off the hook with people asking, how do I cater to these Chinese tourists? I mean, is this, this must be a boom time for you, right?
2: It should be, ideally, a very, very opportune time for the whole of East Africa and, and Sub-Saharan Africa in particular because we have unique experiences. Our ecology, flora and fauna is very unique um, in the global scheme of things. But Africans have taken quite a long time to warm up to China. Since I launched my consultancy two years ago, I rarely get the kind of interest that I was hoping to because our governments or our institutions, our tourism fraternities have not really appreciated uh, the spending habits, the consumerism behind uh, the Chinese powerhouse. And so they're not really doing it the way they should be. They're not focusing strategically on China in the context of Asia. So they're just continuing with their old marketing strategies, techniques, employing the same skills they've been doing. And therefore, we're not experiencing the same growth in outbound Chinese coming into Africa as we should be.
1: And Sandra, to your mind, um, wh- where are they making the biggest mistake? Like where, like what are they doing at the moment specifically and how, what should they be doing?
2: The first error is that they are not matching their tourism products with specific regions within China. This is home to 1.34 billion people. You cannot just launch services and tourism products expecting everyone to appreciate what you have to offer. China is a very regionalized market, and therefore you have to match your tourism products, which means you have to get expert and professional advice on how to go about that so that you can actually zero in on the demographics that will work for you. Also, they're not using um, Chinese social media. They're using the traditional tweeters and, and, uh, sorry, Facebooks, which are not really homegrown solutions that the Chinese are very accustomed to. They're also going in with the wrong budget. Chinese media is slightly more expensive and you have to actually sit down and go through the costing and how you're going to financially prepare to brand your services, to train your staff, to rework your floor plan, redesign, for example, your restaurant and sitting area, and as well as recruit liaison and relationship managers. So it's going to cost you quite a bit more, upwards of $5,000 for sure.
0: Yeah, well, uh, 5000 seems modest given the size of the Chinese media market. But let's talk a little bit about the Chinese tourists and, and how they may be different from the, the more traditional tourists who come to Africa, presumably from Europe and Brazil and, and, the, and the Americas. Um, you, You talked a little bit about it that, you know, African tour operators and hotels have to kind of retrofit their offer to better accommodate the Chinese tourists and what they want. Talk to us a little bit about the profile of the Chinese tourists and how they're different from other tourists that may come to Kenya, Uganda, South Africa.
2: The Chinese fundamentally are looking for an experience where they can gather bragging rights. The more blingier, the more wow factor, the more unique, the more interesting Um, they will be able to, uh, you know, put their money into that kind of thing. They're they're looking forward to making reservations, to go on a wildlife safari where there's like a a unique experience out there. It's not just going out, seeing elephants and lions and and heading back straight to your campsite. But they're looking for an experience. They're looking for you to package as much as you can into their one week or, or three day holiday Uh, They really don't rest. They don't say, oh, we've gone to the beach. Now let's go back to the hotel and take some time off. They want to go to the beach. They want to do the bungee jumping. They want to do the quad bike uh, uh, driving experience. They want to see the horses if you have any. I mean, they want a complete package. And that's why it's a bit complicated if you have only one offering in that three day or four day to, uh, um, that, they, that you're selling them, it might not resonate very well with them as well. Their culinary experience uh, ex- expectations are very different. The, the, their dining, even the hours that they they tend to to snack a lot in between uh, during the day, so you need to cater to their their expectations um, as well. They're looking to uh, uh, buy as much. Uh, you know, in terms of um, art craft or and such such like things so that they can carry with them and show and brag about it to their families back in their countries.
1: Sandra, if you if you could unpack that that last one a little bit, like I, I know that you know my my stereotype of Chinese tourists. Uh, tourists overseas are like are that they love gambling and that uh, they love shopping um, can, what kind of shopping do you recommend um people you know um tourist operators in in Africa to set up um what kind of shopping really appeals to to Chinese tourists and like how do they like to do their shopping
2: they prefer luxury I mean money is not an object for them and they come prepared for this uh, So in terms of, say, homegrown products, if you have a specialty coffee or tea or or wine that is expensive, unique, and there has to be a history behind that product, don't just put it on the shelf and put some Chinese instruction there and the pricing as well and expect them to just quickly go and grab that and pay for it. They want to know the history behind what makes that, that product unique. And that is what they're looking for. More in expensive luxury items. They can be edibles. They can be consumable other items. It just it just depends on what your country has to offer. Because not every country can can offer wine. Not every country has uh, coffee to give uh, to sell their arrival. So it just depends. It's just the pricing has to be higher. They're looking for something much more expensive than the ordinary tourists who just walks around looking for uh, bargain items.
0: Sandra, I want you to try and explain something to me because it just makes no sense to me and what's going on. So last year I went to go see Kobus in Johannesburg and I had a free afternoon. And so I uh, I went on a safari like a lot of tourists do. And so when I got to the game park, Uh, I met one of the rangers who kind of gives us a tour. And I just, I said, you know, where are your tourists coming from? And he said, oh, by far now, our number one source of tourists and visitors are from China. And I was fascinated by that because there were no signs in Chinese. There was nothing to indicate that this was, you know, a major source of revenue for this big safari park. Um, I then went, we had lunch uh, and we stopped and I asked the restaurateur, I said, You know, it seems like there's a lot of Chinese, but why aren't there any Chinese here? And he was really negative. Oh, the Chinese, they don't buy, they don't spend, they don't eat. And it occurred to me that the whole experience for the Chinese was really not very friendly. There wasn't any food that was catered to them. There were no signs. In fact, the only signs that were there in Chinese in this one park were signs in Chinese about don't kill our rhinos. Um, so it was a very negative kind of thing. Um, and, and so I'm, I just what I guess I don't understand is that it would seem to me to be common sense as a business operator, which these parks are, that if my largest source of customers comes from wherever, I will adapt my product to better suit those customers. What is the block for these tour operators and these destinations to not recognize that? and do something about it. What's going on? Because they are putting much more emphasis
2: on the partnerships and uh, getting into MOUs, Memorandum of Understandings, with all these travel agencies in China. That's where the focus is. So once they sign up, and then get into the whole seasonal advertising and hosting of arrivals, that's where it stops. They don't go beyond skills development, staff sensitization training. I, f- I mean, a few do, like in the case of Seashells and Mauritius, have really invested a lot in their budget for these kinds of um, bringing people up to speed and showing them the ropes, how to actually keep a return business from China, not just hosting one tour group, but keep them coming because you, you you show them that they are welcome and you have chefs who cater to them. So they have an alternative menu to the traditional French or English based or British based menu that you find a lot uh, being served in major hotels. So the focus ends with the MOU or uh, the partnership agreement with the airlines or with the travel agents in China. There's nothing that they look into beyond that. And that is where the major mistake is. I mean, hosting Chinese arrivals is an end to end rebranding exercise. It will cost you, and you have to understand you need to take time. Don't just jump into signing agreements when your ground staff is not ready, your immigration service is not ready, your restaurants and hotels are not ready, your uh, shopping malls are not ready for them. I mean, you have to look at it in a larger context, not just doing it piecemeal, hosting them and then stopping there.
1: So, okay, so, um, however, m- you know, most tourism operators in Africa don't have the kind of funds to do that full-scale overhaul. If you're speaking with someone who, who is willing to make some of these changes but need to do it step by step, where would you advise them to start? Like, what what is the first thing that they can change or first few things that they can change to start making it a more friendly experience for the Chinese tourists?
2: Okay, because the Chinese rely 90% of the time for on digital information to make decisions on the destinations they'll be booking or having their honeymoons or vacations in. You have to take social media and Chinese social spaces extremely seriously. So I would say if your budget is not that grand, please focus first on Translating your promotional material, but keeping in mind you have to use a certain uh, tourism Chinese. Don't use academic Chinese when you're literally translating your website to cater to anyone looking to find out more about where you are, what you have to offer, what's the weather like, what are the prices. So begin with the digital exercise, rebrand yourself there, and then you'll be ready to offer a one-stop platform for the Chinese to quickly go in and decide whether or not to make a reservation with you. So you have to take that seriously. You also have to retrain your your staff, the concierge, your restaurant staff, you know, the ones who have a lot of face time with the arrivals and bring them up to speed. What works, what doesn't work with uh, the Chinese guests who will be coming in. So if your budget is a bit restricted and you're not able to do the full, the entire uh, process, the whole rebranding exercise, then please begin with your uh, digital presence it will take you a long way in building a,
0: a brand in the hearts and minds in Chinese. You know, of it's Chinese. Uh, it's interesting because we were talking before the show and, and, and I asked you, I said, well, okay, if African companies, tour operators, travel agencies and destinations are not kind of stepping up, well, who is? And you, you pointed out and you said that the Chinese themselves are now kind of building a tourism infrastructure in Africa. And they are, you know, taking care of the bus systems, they're opening restaurants, the buses are taking people to the Chinese restaurants, and they're catering to their own tourists. And that was just absolutely fascinating to me because so often in the China-Africa dialogue, we hear about the Chinese kind of taking advantage of Africans. They are kind of profiting at the expense of Africans. But here we have a situation where, you know, Kenyans, Ugandans, South Africans you know, all are not stepping up to the opportunity, and it's there for people to take, and the Chinese entrepreneur is seeing it and doing it for themselves. So in some ways, I have a lot of respect for that.
2: Yes, they're not wasting time, because it's been 10 years. Uh, this What we're discussing should have started in 2006, not 2016. So there's been a lapse, a decade has gone by, and no one is really doing it the way the professionals advise them to do it, and a, a lot of failure rates have been reported uh, because, of course, you're going into something that you're not you're ill-equipped to. So the Chinese have seen an opportunity. They understand their people very well. And the investors uh, who come in with multimillion-dollar loans uh, to launch right here on the continent itself are doing exactly what I have been preaching for the last seven years because I've been doing this. You know, slowly as I, big up, I pick up my um, my understanding of this of this industry, and now that I'm fully conversant with it, I now you know go to some of their websites or go to some of their conferences and hear them talking about the same thing I have been advising the tourism fraternity right here in East Africa, and they're doing it exceptionally well because of the speed at which they're able to execute on their decisions. They're very quick thinkers. They're very strategic. Of course, the Chinese are very very calculated. So they know exactly what 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 products will fit their uh, target markets in China, and they offer the um, full tourism package a packaged experience, a, a rich experience in one week or three three day or four day tour.
1: Yeah, this is so fascinating to hear, <laughs> and also it makes me sad as you know as an as an African to see Africa being being again kind of pushed out of its own main industry i mean africa like tourism should be africa's uh, meal ticket you know africa has these amazing things to offer and now they they don't seem to be willing to learn how to offer it so now they're being pushed out it makes me sad um do do you do you sometimes find yourself shouting at african african tourism <laughs> operators to try and get them to move
2: I literally bang on some of these CEOs' doors. I'm there. I'm in their reception lounges, waiting sometimes for up to three hours just to have five minutes to sit down and say, you guys, wake up. You will be swallowed by the big boys when they finally land. What you're seeing right now in terms of Chinese tourism investment into Africa is really not as grand as it will become because the money is there. And they're being bankrolled by very, very serious uh, uh, loans which are issued by the government as part of the strategy, One Belt One Road initiative under the the current president right now. So they are being encouraged to migrate to Africa, to Australia, to Canada. Go, take this money, invest in these places so that the money keeps moving. Uh, because the recession, of course, uh, dealt a very big blow to the uh, you know the Chinese uh, export oriented market. So now, under this IDA I, IDA ILU initiative. The government is actually encouraging more and more Chinese to apply for passports and to actually go into the banks and gather loans and go and launch into the spa industry, casino industry, transportation. They're there just here in Uganda. Two Chinese-owned taxi operations have launched in the last year alone, and they're doing it in a big way. They can afford to advertise on any space or any radio, any billboard, you name it, it's up for the taking. So their budgets are higher, and therefore they are actually overshadowing domestic operators. And many of them are having to sell their operations to the Chinese. For example, you have um, Abercrombie and Kent (A.B.N.K.), which is a luxury operator that has been here since I was a kid, and they last year uh, signed a deal to sell off their luxury tour operations to a Chinese uh, uh, vacation and holiday home construction company called Hong Holdings so slowly yes you're right Corbus we are now handing over <laughs> whether we like it or not the hospitality industry is now moving towards Chinese ownership
0: it's just crazy is it I mean do you think that there is I mean okay let me just kind of put it out there I don't I don't know if it's true I'm not saying this as a leading question but is there any kind of racism that's going on here that people maybe just more, comfortable dealing with, you know, white people as tourists, and then they see the Chinese as, you know, unfamiliar, scary, kind of, you know, or maybe there's some racist, you know, kind of prejudices that are getting in the way. I'm still trying to get at why people don't go for money. I mean, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. It really just doesn't make any sense. It's perplexing to me.
2: I know. I never saw this coming. Honestly, when I began, I was sure that at least Um, out of all the tourism and hospitality operators in uh, East Africa, 15% or 20% would be on board and we could move forward and build and rebrand them to receive and advertise into the Chinese market. But it just, it has not even reached, I don't even think 3%. And so I'm very frustrated here. Nobody's listening Conference in uh, event coordinators keep shutting me out. I keep pushing hard and hard, but I find I'm getting more invitations from different countries, not even here in Africa. So it's like my skills are being appreciated by different uh, uh, analysts, the travel analysts out there, different universities uh, who have uh, very strong tourism departments also consult with me. But on this continent itself, my home turf is not is not has not warmed up. To what China has to offer. I don't think it's a racial issue. You know, when you have the, the number of uh, uh, empty rooms uh, that our hotels, for example, in, in a town called uh, Entebbe, sometimes you walk into a hotel and find two thirds of their rooms empty and they are going at a loss. They have a payroll to support, they have staff to pay, and it's just not working out, but they're not looking at a different market, a different source market. To help them stay afloat and so they're shutting down they're going to bankruptcy and some of course now are folding in and, and selling off to the chinese
0: now kobus just before we we kind of wa- close the show and everybody walks away depressed thinking of how incompetent africans are for for not taking advantage of this opportunity I, I think it's fair to say that a lot of people are struggling with this i know i've talked to some tour operators in the u.s and some hotel companies Uh, In the U.S. who also don't know how to deal with the Chinese, you know, there is, as you pointed out, Sandra, I think, listen, if you ever want to immigrate to the United States, I think there's going to be a lot of jobs for you because the Chinese, in fact, are going to places like Los Angeles and New York, uh, Chicago, uh, San Francisco, and a lot of hotels still, believe it or not, don't have TV channels for the Chinese, they don't have food for the Chinese, they don't have Chinese speaking, you know, desk staff. So I don't think this is uniquely an African problem. Uh, I think what the issue that we're kind of talking about is that this is just lots and lots of money that's ready to be taken. It's on the table and people are not taking advantage of that. So um, Sandra, if people want to kind of take you up on your advice, they listen to the show and they say, you know what? She's the woman I need to kind of, you know, get in touch with. How can they follow you and what can they do to get in touch with you?
2: I'm on Facebook uh, slash welcoming Chinese tourists, welcoming, welcoming Chinese tourists. I'm on Twitter at Sandra Rwese, spelled Sandra R W E S E. My website, of course, is uh, available 24 hours a day, and that's guluandhearst.net. Gulu, G U L U, and Hearst, H I R S T.net.
0: Well, we, you know, in this year of the rooster, we are wishing you prosperity, happy New Year, and uh, we're hoping that uh, that this New Year, two thousand seventeen, will finally be the time when uh, when African tour operators wake up and start calling you for their uh, for their help and how to better welcome Chinese tourists and, and how to accommodate them. Thank you for joining us on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you as well, Cobus. You know, it's it's a head shake for me. I you know we just hear over and over and over again how the Chinese are taking advantage of Africans and how the narrative is always Africa the victim. And here we have, just right in front of us, an opportunity for Africans to thrive and to do something you know, you know, that would really be profitable in their favor and their interest. And they're just not doing it. And it's just perplexing. Honestly, this is not the show that I expected that we were going to have with Sandra. Yeah, I know. Come on, Africa. Yeah, we can do it. So (laughs) we would like to check back in with uh, Sandra in a few months just to see how, how things are going. So until then, we'll be back very soon. In fact, in another week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.